fish on. And welcome back to Hunger for the Outdoors. I'm Zach. I'm Melissa. I'm Connor. I'm Michaela. And this week we have a special guest. Um, <laughs> this week our subject will be safety. Doug, why don't you go ahead and tell us about what makes you qualified to be teaching us about hunter safety? Well, I've been hunting since oh, what was it, 1978. Um, I've been teaching hunter's education. I got certified in 2012, and I helped teach a couple of years before that. I know a little bit about <laughs> And that's one of my main goals is whenever I'm out is firearm safety and another safety procedures when hunting. See, and if you guys have listened to this podcast for very long at all, you'll know that a lot of my stories and experiences have come from times with Doug and his son, Wayne, and we have had a lot of fun and have a lot of stories together. So Doug, one thing that he has always done though, consistently is it doesn't matter if you're his kid or not. If you're out hunting with him, he will call you out for not being safe. It's something that I learned the hard way, I, but I've learned to appreciate it. So I guess let's start with the girls since they've been hunting the least amount of time. What are questions that you guys wish you'd had answered before you started hunting with hunter safety? Um, probably why do you have to wear orange for others like big game and not for duck hunting um it's mainly because for big game you're in more concealed areas and you're moving around um so you're harder to see out in the out in the woods um you don't know where other hunters are or even other people at that time they can be coming from a 360 degree direction and they could come from miles away in any direction. Um, Waterfowl, for the most part, you're stationary and you're using calls or decoys and people can hear or see that. That's one of the, one of the big reasons. Um, Again, with waterfowl, generally you're stationary, so you're easier to pick out. Okay. Um, I do have another one. Um, do you always have to have, like, when you use uh, blinds for big game, do you always have to have orange on your blind? Um, no, not on your blind. And actually, in, in the state of Idaho, it is not a law to wear blaze orange. It's highly recommended again, for safety reasons. Um, but as far as a blind goes, no, you do not have to have blaze orange on a blind. Okay. I guess, Doug, what, in your experience, you've been hunting for ages and you've been teaching hunter safety for ages. What would you say is probably the most number one overlooked safety rule that endangers you and other hunters out there on a regular basis? Um, sadly, it's, it's the number one rule of, um, 
firearm safety, watch your muzzle. Never point your muzzle in any direction that's unsafe or at any person um, or anything you do not intend to harm or shoot. And I will be the first one to admit, Doug more than once has called me out on that. And, you know, I've become better at it over time, but it is something that I am not perfect at. You know, I've got to practice every single time to, that we go out to make sure that I'm keeping that muzzle in a safe direction. It's a conscientious thing. It's not a passive thing. Why do you think it's so hard that uh, for people to like think about doing it? Um, because in the heat of the moment, uh, you've probably heard of the saying buck fever. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that just doesn't have to do with deer hunting, but all hunting or shooting, you get excited and you lose focus of, of what, where your muzzle is. Um, I've actually been witness to a couple of instances that uh, luckily people weren't harmed. Um, in fact, one myself, when I was 11, I actually got shot. Um, fortunately, it was with a shotgun. I had thick insulated coveralls. I had snow boots and stuff. And, and so it was down below my knee. And I was very fortunate that it didn't penetrate. <clears throat> um, most of the <clears throat> accidents that I've seen have been with short range weapons, you know, um, shotguns mainly. Um, and the reason being is because birds are coming from all directions and you lose track of where your hunting partners are because the birds are coming and you're swinging with the birds with a shotgun. And unfortunately people tend to lose sight of that and they'll shoot outside of their safe zone of fire. Um, I've been had shots ring right over top of my head. Um, again, like I said, I've been shot in the leg. Um, I've seen other people nearly hit. But again, it's just it's so easy to lose focus of the safety aspect when you're focused on the quarry that you're after. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even was witness, or sorry. I wasn't witness to it, but I was just over the hill. A guy had harvested an elk, and he was kneeling down behind it. He had his blaze orange on. His father was taking a picture of him. He had blaze orange on, and somebody actually shot that elk that he was kneeling by that he had already harvested. And how would somebody not blaze orange because they're not focused on their surroundings, rather a spot Uh, you really need to be focused on all your surroundings not just one focal point all right i would say one of my most fond memories where well one of my most memorable memories where someone got chewed out was when you wayne and i were up at uh his uncle's place on the river hunting ducks and he had his archery license, and I didn't, and you didn't at the time. And we got into this, it was a canyon, and looked down, and there was a couple of ducks flying over an island, and I ended up shooting at one of them and killing it. And in doing so, I scared up that big four-point buck. 
and turned around and Wayne started chasing after it, trying to get his bow out of the back of the pickup. And I don't think I've ever seen you chew him out quite so hard with running with a shotgun, but that buck fever kicked in and you lose all focus, just like you said. So that's where most hunting accidents come into is people just lose focus of where their muzzle is pointed. Do you see more more accidents with guns or um, archery? Um, by far, it's with guns. <coughs> um, and a lot of them are actually in the homes or in the vehicles because people don't double and triple check to make sure their firearms are unloaded before they put them in a vehicle um, or take them into their home. There's been some instances even locally here where people have been injured or unfortunately killed uh, with a firearm in the home. And the answer they've all had when asked, they says, well, it wasn't loaded. Can't harm somebody without a loaded weapon other than throwing the weapon at them. <laughs> yeah. I always triple check my my firearms before I put them away. Okay. So why is knowing your firearm important for hunting? Um, there's a few different reasons. One is so that you know how to operate that firearm. Um, another one is so that you have the proper ammunition for that firearm. There are some ammunitions that are similar, but uh, they're not proper for that firearm. And what happens if you use an ammunition that's not proper? Well, let's let's take a shotgun, for instance. You've got different gauges. <clears throat> you know, you've got the 12, the 20, a 16, a 28. Then you have a 410 bore. If you was to take, accidentally have some 20 gauge ammunition with your 12 gauge, you could actually load a 20 gauge and then a 12 behind it. Well, that 20 gauge would go into your muzzle or sorry, not your muzzle, into your chamber, and you'd squeeze the trigger and it wouldn't go off. So you'd cycle another round, and so then there's a 12-gauge round behind that. And so then when you squeeze the trigger off of there, you know, you might think that, oh, I got all these pellets, it's going to hit the firing pin of the, or the, the primer of the 20-gauge, then it would fire off as well, but no, it doesn't work that way actually an obstruction and so the gun most likely would explode um, so the person behind it is going to get injured or even worse um, it happens more often than people would think so you always make sure you got the proper ammunition for the proper firearm and your barrel is clear <clears throat> i've had a time when i was out with you and we ended up sticking it was either my 12 gauge or my 22 in the mud, and that could have ended up real bad if we hadn't cleared that out. That's right. What is the best the best way to transport a firearm? Unloaded. And in a case of some sort, whether it be a hard or a soft case, depending on where it is. Um, reason you want it in a case, want it keeps it from getting damaged, keeps it clean, and keeps it from Maybe somebody inadvertently walking by and seeing it and, and grabbing it or 
mainly to keep them clean. That and so no obstructions get into the trigger mechanism and make it so that it can be fired. So that's also something that's awfully important. One thing that, that people fail to do a lot is they will load their firearm before they leave their home. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll see something along the way. Oh, not very safe. I've got one friend that's actually got a, a hole in the side of the cab of his pickup because he did not unload the rifle before he put it in the rifle rack. His daughter, who was only like two or three years old at the time, stand up on the seat and reach back and, and grab the trigger. And He couldn't hear for about a week because it was right behind his head, but fortunately nobody was injured. <clears throat> Always unload your firearms before you put them into a vehicle. Guess if you had to give a short recap of the most important points that someone needs to remember when they're out in the field hunting, what would you say are the most important things someone needs to keep in mind while they're out there? Know your surroundings. Not just what's in front of you, but on each side of you, and also what's behind you. Um, one thing I always tell people when they're out with me, whether it's hunting or even just hiking or fishing, always look around. Um, a lot of people are just focused on what's in front of them. And here's another aspect. That's how a lot of people get lost out in the woods. Only look at what's in front of them. And if they turn around and go the other way, it doesn't look the same. So stop every few minutes and look around you. Um, especially if you're carrying a firearm and you're out hunting, always look around. Because I've had many times walk along, I turn and look around and there's a deer elk behind me. They sometimes they won't jump up until after you're passed on by. Um, and again, always make sure where your firearm is pointed. So, Doug, if there's a listener out there that's getting ready to go through hunter safety, what are some of the uh, main things you need to study up on before they go and take the test and go through that program? Um, firearm safety is a huge part of it. <clears throat> um, also how to be prepared for going out in the field or out in the woods. Um, you need to be physically fit. You don't just start getting in shape a week before, but do it year round. Um, know where you're gonna go, um, study maps, talk to people that have been there. And if you have an opportunity, go and hike around that area before hunting season. Then um, there's a last chance that you could be lost or you'll know some of the unsafe terrain up that way, wherever you go. And that also goes along with something that we've talked to you guys about before is scouting. You know, that's a perfect opportunity to go and scout and make sure you know that area. Make sure you can know if there's even animals in that area that you're trying to find. Yeah, and that, you know, it wouldn't... that's a great way to prepare for hunts. Um but what I'm talking about more is like if they're getting ready to get the hunter safety certification and go through the test and everything, like what are things they need to study up on before taking the test for the hunter safety program? Um, again, there's the 10 commandments of firearm safety. You need to know that, um, the different actions of firearms, um, you need to know a little bit about say hypothermia, first aid, um, heat stroke, heat exhaustion. Um, you need to know 
the different types of animals, big game, waterfowl, and small animals, because um, that's part of the ta on the test. And they give you literature in the class, and then online you can go back and look at the literature, can't you? Right. If you take an instructor-led course, we'll actually give you a booklet that has all sorts of information in there. And it's a good thing to actually keep around for years to come because, like I say, there's a lot of good information in there. Um, it'll actually talk about things like carrying capacity, how much an area, how many animals an area can keep, and they're all going to be healthy and, and vibrant. Um, so <clears throat> if you have an opportunity to get a hold of one of the booklets from a fishing game officer or hunter's ed instructor, uh, get one of those and just, just read through it, study it. Um, but again, with an instructor led course, you're going to get that. Otherwise you've got to go online. Well, and even last year, I mean, I was helping you out just a little bit, trying to do some of the hunter's ed with you and, you came across one of those first aid books and I still keep that in my hunting pack. I mean, it's not a very big book. It's two inches by two inches and it's probably one of the most helpful little things that I've got for tips and tricks on first aid and survival that I keep in my bag. Not that it's a necessity, but it's one of those things that <laughs> it could be. And that's something that was given in that class. It was, I mean, I'd been through hunter safety 10 years prior and still found it to be extremely helpful that's right and anytime you're going to be out in the outdoors you need to know some survival um issues you know how to build a fire how to make signals uh shelter where to find water food um you need to know certain plants some plants are safe to eat and some are not and some of them look very similar that's another thing that that people should do is is understand survival because most people that get um, say lost out in the woods and whatnot are out hunting um, around this area anyway. How important is it to be accurate with your gun? That is the second most important aspect I think um, other than the safety. <clears throat> um, you need to, to know what your range is which means are you accurate up to 100 yards or are you accurate at 500 yards um so you need to to go to a gun range and you need to practice and you just don't practice sitting at a bench standing doing sitting laying down any situations that you might come into while hunting i mean how many people carry a bench with them when they're out hunting right? i've never seen it yet yeah i don't know of any so don't just practice shooting from a rest and a bench, but know your firearm, know the range of where you can safely try and harvest an animal. I had an opportunity years ago to shoot a buck, but it was at 400 yards. Well, I had been injured for over a year, so I hadn't been out shooting, Well, I did not feel safe at shooting that animal at 400 yards, whereas a year prior, it would have been a piece of cake for me. So I let that animal go. And that's one of those things that it's not even about safety for us. It's about safety for the animals and ethics. You know, we don't want to go out and our intent is not to go out and injure all the animals. We want to go out and make sure all the animals are that we're leaving are healthy, vibrant, 
going to make it through the next winter, be able to be grow bigger and stronger for next year. Right. There's nothing worse than uh, injuring an animal and not being able to find it because, you know, more than like, more likely it's going to end up dying somewhere and it's just ethical. And, and plus for me, I love the animals so much in hunting that it would bother me for the rest of my life. Leaves that pit in the bottom of your stomach and you're just like that. You does, know, it wasn't the greatest choice that I could have made. Does that but, happen a lot when you shoot them and they, you can't find them? Um, no. Um, there's more, I'd say, with, with archery than there is with rifles. Because mm. um, that's, that's a bigger window to to make a mistake. I mean, a blade of grass, you know, say some tall grass could, could hit your arrow and it divert it just a little bit. A little limb that you're focused on that animal you may not see. Um, so there's a lot of those that are injured and run off. <clears throat> and, and people can't find them. And there's people that have tracked them for days. <clears throat> not been able to find them. I, uh, I was reading a post earlier this year where a guy had forgotten to remove the pin from his mechanical broadhead. And somebody else had ended up shooting that deer and pulled that broadhead out of that deer. And it didn't have the opportunity to do its work because the blades weren't able to extend. So all he'd done is shot it with a field point, And that is just it breaks your heart for that animal because you know it was sitting there suffering. It doesn't feel good. It's not going to be something that you can let sit yeah. right with you. And so that's, you got to make sure that when you're taking that shot, number one, how sure is it? And number two, are you going to be able to recover this animal? I think I've had one, maybe two animals move after I've shot them and they moved about a hundred yards and then dropped. So I've never really had the issue of having to track for a long distance. I don't know, Doug, have you ever had experience with it? Um, yeah, about about 40 years ago, I was with somebody else and, and, and they'd shot a buck and we followed that blood trail for about three miles and then it got dark and we never could find it. We went back the next day and never did find it. We know we know it expired out there somewhere, but we never could find it. And it's just never forgot that. And there's been many times to where I could have shot an animal, but I had just just a split second of doubt, and so I would not squeeze the trigger. I don't want to take a chance. Um, something I that I say quite a bit when I'm teaching hunter days is practice, practice, practice. <clears throat> Answer. Melissa's question, you know, just practice throughout the year. Um, we've got opportunities now. There's no big game, but you can go out for rabbits or coyotes, things like that, which gives you practice. And it's may not necessarily be with the rifle you're going to carry during hunt season, but it's still, you're going through the motions and you're out and about. So you can practice those safety precautions and, and also you're shooting on some some fun little critters. Yeah, even uh, at the shooting range too, you got to be wary of that safety. I know there's a couple of years back here in Utah, Zach. You know where uh, we went shooting out in the 
by the mountain range? The western. Yeah. Yeah, kind of out there by the salt flats. There's somebody out there that was shooting just targets, and they weren't paying attention to what was behind their target. And they ended up having a stray bullet fly all the way out to the highway. And I believe it struck somebody in the car. And I don't think they made they it. Got, they, yeah, they got killed. Yeah, I think it killed the person in the car. I guess that was my next question, Doug. So I've been watching the episode Meat Eater, or the TV show Meat Eater on Netflix recently. <coughs> and he had an antelope out there, and it was a good buck. And he'd been traveling around it all day and never could get it without the skyline. Now, he knew what was around him, right? He knew that if he shot this way, that there was, I mean, just a long, flat nothingness out there. But there were a few houses straight around there. And he wouldn't take that shot. Why? I mean, it's skyline. He knows that there's nothing behind it, but why wouldn't you take that shot if it's skyline? Well, like you said, you know, he, he kind of knew his comings, but again, at, say, three, four miles, you don't know if somebody could be walking or driving, um, there could be a little goalie or a draw or something that you can't see to where there could be a home down there. Um, one thing in, in teaching hunters ed in the booklet, it has different ranges for different calibers of guns. Um, say a 22 rifle, the bullet can travel, travel upwards of two, two and a half miles. You know, that's a long ways. That's farther than you can, really see small objects uh 30 odd six which is a popular caliber that's upwards of like six miles so you really need to know what is beyond your target before you fire and again like zach was saying with this guy in this program he thought he he pretty much knew what was around him but he wasn't going to take that chance because you can't see little dips and valleys and and washes and gullies if you go out into a sagebrush type desert just walk in a straight line you'll be amazed at how many times all of a sudden you can drop into a little draw or something that could be 10 15 20 feet deep but looking across the plain you cannot see that so and that's how some accidents occur also is because you don't know what's beyond your target um, generally, uh, the heart and lung is the ideal shot, and that is behind the front shoulder. And say for like a deer and an elk, it's about the size of a paper plate. It's about eight inch is what call your kill zone. Um, the most ethical hunters try to put their kill zone into about the size of a quarter. Um, so that they know exactly where they're going to hit. Uh, I've hunted with many people over the years. They say the neck is the best shot. Well, that makes a smaller area. It's harder to hit. So you try to go for the largest and the safest, which is broadside behind that front shoulder. You know, I've met a lot of guys who, who have differing opinions on ethical shots. I know guys that'll say, come up above the the where that shoulder meets the torso about four inches and hit right there. I've met, I've heard guys that say, you know, right where that shoulder bone is where you can see it come back behind the animal about four inches. So there's a lot of differing opinions, but the, the important thing is, is you know where that vital area is on that animal 
and that you know that if you're going to take that shot, you can hit that vital area. It's so, so important. I mean, this year I had, I've had two shots on deer archery last year. And um, the first one was about 60 yards. The second one was about 70. And I used a fixed pin sight and I can only shoot ethically to where I know I can hit an animal in the vital area out to 50 yards. I had my bow drawn at 70. I had my bow drawn at 60. Neither one of the times could I pull the trigger because I didn't know for sure that if I hit that animal, it was going to kill it. So that comes with the ethics of making sure that when you hit that animal, it's going to kill it. That's right. You know, with archery, of course, that arrow is lighter, so any breeze or wind can throw that off. Well, same thing with a bullet out of a rifle. The wind can deflect that bullet more so than what you would think. Um, difference in temperature and barometric pressure. Um, always practice uh, up to the distance you think you might take a shot and make sure you're comfortable with that. In all sorts of conditions, not just the ideal conditions, the range. That's right. So. I think that's another big issue with uh, waterfowl hunting. You know, you see, see a lot of people out sky busting. They can hit that bird that's, you know, 50, 60 yards out, when in reality, you know, the farthest a shot can, can lethally go is roughly 40 yards. Right. I've, I've actually witnessed a couple of shots that were just amazing uh, with shotguns. One guy was out in South Dakota, and it was a 100-yard shot, and Goose was up. You know, it was a good 50 yards up in the air, too. And we're all going, what are you doing? And he, he's pulled the trigger and he dropped it. Well, that's one in a million shots. <clears throat> I happened to be out on a boat once with somebody. And some geese were coming with us. And the one guy stood up to shoot. And I go, they're too far off. Don't even boom. And, and he dropped the goose. Now, the goose had the last laugh. Because when he pulled the goose up into the boat... He hadn't secured his shotgun good enough, and the goose flopped its wing and kicked his shotgun into the lake. <laughs> it was a very expensive goose. <laughs> I've ever heard of. That's crazy. He's got the skull of that goose mounted in his house. So, along with the shotgun, you know there there is luck, but you know just just don't take the chance. Um, I was hunting with somebody here about three years ago and they actually shot right over top of my head. They were only 10 yards away from me. I mean, right over my head. Um, and I had to keep my cool cause my was turning to shoot him. So you got to keep your, keep your cool. And he did hit the duck, but the duck was over on the other side of, of a, of a fast moving current. And so what happened to the duck? It hit the current in the river, and it was long gone. And that's that's waste of game. Um, know your range. Know where you're. Know where you're shooting. Know where your hunting partners are. Just can't have that into anybody's brain and thoughts enough. So important to keep keep that head about you. I mean, I haven't hunted with Doug. I got a rare opportunity to have someone who's been in the the safety industry for a while now and 
well, Doug, I, I appreciate Doug because he's not afraid to call you out. Um, I grew up hunting with him and his kid, and we've done some things that people would look at us and go, these two brickheads need to never have a gun again. But Doug's always called us out, and it's made it so that now I've gotten to the point where I can recognize those safety issues as soon as or shortly after they happen and be able to correct them on my own now. And that just comes on keeping with everyone safe. You know, that's something that we've stressed in this podcast, guys. That's something that we want to make sure that you guys know that we're concerned about. We care about your guys' safety. We want everyone to have a good time. We also want to make sure everyone's having a safe time. So most, most of those mistakes, how I've learned them is for, through experience. Being myself, I've made plenty of mistakes. I still make mistakes. Um, I caught myself just last fall. Water where I just about come out of my safe zone of fire. I caught myself right at the last second. Um, I've been around other people that have made huge mistakes. And I the think, biggest thing about mistakes is you learn from them and don't. I think that's also another important aspect of it is, you know, if you're going out in groups of people hunting, keep each other in check too. I know, I know that like if Kayla and I are hunting or, you know, the four of us, me, Zach, Kayla and our wives and whatnot, we're always keeping each other in check, you know, making sure we're staying within each other's zone of fire. You know, if a duck crosses into out of my zone and into Zach's, he's usually pretty good at saying, whoa, 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 hold your fire. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Talk. Thing partners. Um, you know, you, you watch some of these hunting shows and shoot, they'll have five, six, eight, ten people out, say, pheasant hunting. Um, mm -hmm. That can be very unsafe. Uh preferably three people because you've got those zones of fire that, that you can be a little bit safer. Um, but you know, not every condition is ideal. Um, not every hunting group is only three people. And know the people you're hunting with. You're hunting with strangers. You don't know how they are. I mean, do they care about safety, you know? Do they pay attention? Um, best to know the people you're going to hunt with as well. Yeah, that's the other thing. Every group has their own style of hunting where, you know, some people may be like, you know, you go down the line, you know, first Kayla takes a shot. If she misses, I'll take a shot at the duck. I miss, so on and so forth. Other people, it's uh, every man for himself. So, you know, it's important to communicate when you're going out with somebody you haven't been hunting with before on how they do it you know you know also they may have a different way they want to set up decoys or how they call in an animal or if they even use calls you know we talked with my good friend tyler last week he doesn't like using calls that much because everybody in utah calls you know he mentioned he only uses a whistle if he brings any call at all but then me and zach we both enjoy calling and working working birds and so that comes with communication guys and also it comes <clears> with <throat> knowing your place if you've been invited on a hunt 
if Tyler were to invite Connor and I on a hunt next year or this coming fall, it would be impolite and just wrong for him and I to bring a bunch of calls and start calling. That's not something he likes to do. But at the same time, if Doug were to have me come, I know Doug well enough that he likes to call. And I know Doug well enough that we can call together. So knowing what the person who invited you to a hunt likes and what they prefer is a key thing to getting invited back on hunts. Doug, I am pretty sure that you had a hard time trusting the person that shot over your head after having had that happen. I, I haven't hunted with that person since, and I don't know that I ever will. That's one of those things that you just, it's, you have to have trust in the person that you're hunting with because that's a spooky experience. And that's something that, I mean, I don't know if I could, would ever hunt with someone like that again. Well, the worst thing is, you know, Ben's I was okay was he denied it. And it's, it was right there. I mean, before you go out hunting with, with even just one other person, always talk things through before you leave your vehicle or cabin or tent, whatever. Before you head out on that hunt, discuss things. How you prefer to do things compared to them. And make sure you have a plan and a goal. Yeah, another thing is, you, know, you said that he denied shooting over your head. If you, if you mess up, just own up to it. I mean, it's in the past now. You did it, just move on, learn from it. Admit that you did it. Um, it's just the polite thing to do. That's right. See, learn from your mistakes, like I said earlier. He didn't learn. He just denied it because he didn't want to accept the mistake that he made. I mean, it's two mistakes. One was shooting outside of his zone of fire. Also, waste of game is how I look at it. The duck was not in a situation or a spot to where he could retreat. So real quick, I guess the last thing that we really want to touch on here, Doug, is bow hunter safety. Um, my wife and I both do bow hunting. Something that we've stressed to people is if they're in a tree stand, wear a harness and put a tether on your weapon. But you know a little bit more about this than we do. What can we as bow hunters do to be a little bit more safe when we're out archery hunting? Um, be in shape. Um, again, with with any weapon or anything, practice makes perfect. Practice, practice, practice. Um, scout your locations. Um, know where your tree stand is going to be. Get up in it and see if there's any obstructions in the way that could make anything unsafe. You know, uh, say a branch overhead that you know you might not see. So if you stand up, it could throw you off balance. Uh, again, like you said, a harness, that is key. Um, get into your tree stand with a rope and then have a rope to pull your bow or firearm up. Don't carry it with you as you climb into the tree stand. There's a guy in Rigby that did that a few years back. And ended up yeah, with a shotgun. He uh, um, is what he'd actually done was actually drop the shotgun and it landed on the ground and it just happened to be that the muzzle was facing up and just the jar of hitting the ground, it went off and shot him. He was up in his stand. Um, so tether your guns too. something that uh, I learned in the boat. And uh, it 
happen to be Zach's shotgun. Uh, now, if we're on boats, we have um, tethers that we tie our guns to. So if they happen to fall overboard, we can retrieve our guns. Same thing in a, in a tree stand. Have it tethered where it can't fall clear to the ground. Any little thing. It's better to make it home. Um, and I guess the last thing that I really wanted to kind of touch on is the age-old question. Fixed broadheads versus mechanical. Um, in Idaho, mechanical or illegal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all just on preference and where you hunt. Uh, make sure you know all the laws and the rules for whatever weapon you're using, calls, decoys. Make sure that they're legal. Um, I've never used a mechanical broadhead. Um, I personally don't know anybody that does because, again, in Idaho, they're illegal. Um, but I know on some of the hunting shows, it tends to seem, I think most of them tend to use mechanicals. <clears throat> so oh, I, I, I can't say either way what's better. <laughs> I could see with a mechanical, any mechanical device have issues. So without knowing much more other than they could fail, I would go with a fixed broadhead if it was my choice. And for me, I think ultimately what it came down to when thinking about it is <laughs> penetration versus incision. Are you trying to hit the area that you're hitting or are you trying to create a bigger incision to maybe hit more? And it seems to me like a lot of the guys that use uh, mechanical broadheads are to create, trying to create a bigger wound to try to hit more arteries or try to hit a bigger area to try to knock that animal down faster, but at the cost of penetration. Um, my uncle this past year upgraded his arrow system and broadhead system, and he has shot through, it was either a shoulder of a beef or the shoulder of a ham, a pig, and I mean, his arrow system went clean through the shoulder. And so I have no doubt that even if he were to slightly waver on his and go through the shoulder, he would be able to hit it into an area that would still kill that animal. Um, but again, with a broadhead that's mechanical, he may open an incision that ends up making an artery. I don't know. So it's just one of those things. I know, Connor, you guys are down there facing a little bit of a, an attack on legislation on trail cameras and things like that, right? I've never heard of that. I've seen recently that Utah is going under a... Uh, they're trying to get legislation passed where trail cameras aren't legal anymore. Um, I know that I use them here in Idaho. I love my trail cameras. They do the scouting for me so that I don't have to sit there all day. Um, if you guys have seen the previous picture on our Instagram and Facebook, the one that was our profile picture. I don't know if it still is. I don't think it is, but we can post pictures. But we'll make sure we post pictures from this year's trail cameras that we got some pictures of some pretty pretty awesome looking deer. And one of them was one that I would have expected to see on the picture of a front page of a magazine. You know, it was just that kind of quality. And I was really impressed with my cameras this year. I actually have to go still pull one of them. Not that I really want to. 
I may just end up leaving it out this year to try to get more pictures of deer to see if I can watch them grow. But and then I do have one more question going back. Um, Doug, you mentioned a little while ago about the Ten Commandments of um, hunting. Could you tell us what those are real fast before we end? Um, watch your muzzle. Know where your firearms pointed at all times. Um, know your know your gun and your ammunition. Um, well, I haven't I haven't taught this for over a year because when it shut down, I kind of forgot. But um, keep your finger outside the the trigger guard at all times until you're ready to shoot. Don't run, jump. Um, with a loaded firearm, uh, don't run, jump, or climb. That's what um, know your ammunition. Make sure you got the proper ammunition. Uh, know your surroundings. Um, know what's in front of and beyond your target. Um, that's most of them. But again, uh, keep your firearm on safety until you're ready to shoot. Um, that safety is there for a reason, just like with an automobile. They have brakes for a reason. Use them. You always use them in a vehicle. Always use your safety in a firearm. All right. Thank you. Yep. Well, guys, until next time, I'm Zach. I'm Melissa. I'm Connor. I'm Akila. And I'm Doug. Don't chase bears. <laughs>